0: Jonathan Kraft, Bloomberg Business of Sports, from Bloomberg Radio. Hello,
1: I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soschnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays,
0: Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. On this week's show, we have part owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, Wes Eatons, who just beat the living daylights out of of the Detroit Pistons. Pistons. Oh, sweet. Four games, poof. Tough, God. tough for you because he's a great guest. He is so accomplished.
1: Obviously, co-founded Fortress Investment. So he bought the Milwaukee Bucks with Mark Lassery,
0: Jamie Dynan. turning out to be a good investment. Now let's get into our topics so of the week. Let's start with Kansas and a deal with Adidas or Adidas, depending on which side of the river that you are on.
1: What river is that?
0: No, <laughs> the Thames.
1: I thought it was sticks. <laughs> I would have guessed sticks. Yeah, just. I mean, is it Adidas? Sort of involved in this college sports problem, Eben? And yeah, pretty, signing bad pr- luck, right? Pretty now.
2: funny timing here. Kansas has been with Adidas for a number of years now, arguably alongside Louisville. You know, the most in- important school in the Adidas uh, stable. They just signed a 14-year extension, 196 million dollars. Right, so that comes out to about 14 million dollars a year, uh, coming at a time, as you said, when you know this college basketball now also college football bribery scandal is happening adidas technically responsible for you know committing fraud against kansas to me this this fully highlights did you just indict adidas Adidas is—I mean, Jim Gatto, who is an Adidas executive—you know—has been found guilty, right? He got jail time. Jim Gatto agreed to pay back the University of Kansas's law, l- law fees, right? It's three hundred something thousand dollars. Uh, there have been—you know—there have been decisions. So
1: you know what we Adidas should
2: do? Has... We should re-up
1: with Adidas. <laughs> yeah, it, it,
2: to me, it just lays bare exactly how you know the idea that you know schools are the victims of. You know, bribery perpetrated by either middlemen or shoe companies uh, is pretty a ridiculous notion.
1: uh, Just a a lot of again, it's just when you're saying a wash in money, the number, the number of years, and the total dollar figures. Again, I like I doubled. I was like, how much?
2: Yeah, fourteen million dollars is is a lot. Um, Correct
1: me if I'm wrong. Like Kansas basketball. Fairly well-respected, top-ten program. Very
2: well. The football team, uh, much less so. Yeah, exactly. But uh, again, if if Kansas really felt like it had been wronged by Adidas, it would not be re-upping with Adidas
0: well speaking of that which goes into now the trial uh, involving uh, the college let's say shenanigans if you want to call it that now it's spilled over into college football yeah this
2: trial that is going on right now in in New York uh, continues uh, to grow becoming a bigger and bigger deal um, you know the we talked about this earlier this week on the podcast you know there there are now you know more schools getting involved including you know Marty blazer who's now talking about payments he made over 14-year period, including and he named a number of college football programs including Penn State, Alabama, Northwestern, North Carolina. Uh, I think we are going to continue over the course of this three-week trial. You know, hear testimony from people that are going to, you know, drop little tidbits here and there about specific players, about specific programs, about specific coaches.
1: Hold on, I'm checking the Michael Avenatti Twitter feed to <laughs> see, see what's being said about the cosmos
2: <laughs> Yeah, there, there's certainly no surprise for college football fans. I think that oh, you know, the, the fact that college basketballs were getting paid, it, it obviously makes sense that college football players were as well. Um, but you know. Sean Miller, who has vehemently denied still paying there. players. There was testimony that he uh, had told a middleman that he was you know, personally handing, handling those payments. He may be called to testify uh, later in the trial. Uh, there's a lot more that's going to come out after
1: this. To me, Bar, Sean Miller is still that and that terrible mustache is still the point guard at Pitt. That
0: way I'm not any older. <laughs> Send Next. it in, Jerome! <laughs> Next topic, gentlemen. WNBA and CBS. Let's go. I'm trying to figure this one out from
1: the CBS standpoint. Other than you need some programming that time of the year. I mean, this is now. Let's let's be clear. This is not the mothership CBS. This is the CBS Sports Network. Yep. Important distinction. Important distinction. In case anybody thought like, wait, the WNBA is going to be on CBS. Historically, the WNBA has piggybacked the NBA agreement on ABC and the Disney Family. Um, more exposure, good for the league. Uh, I don't know how much more money's coming in. We haven't seen a dollar figure on this, but. Uh, if you're looking for, and there has been sort of this outcry from WNBA players, we need more promotion, we need more commitment, we need more dollars spent, we need more attention, well, we'll get some now on CBS Sports Network.
2: Yeah, the dollar figure is not going to be big here. From what's reported, ESPN pays, I think, $25 million to the to the WNBA. And that's for, also trying to keep for, the NBA happy exactly because you want that packages. product. Uh, right. do you, is there a part here that you think is also maybe CBS trying to, cozy up or maybe curry favor with with the nba not a rights holder right now but possibly in the future
1: yeah Uh, anything you can do to sort of let a league know we might be interested in what you're doing down the line sure especially in what as we know the ott world and everybody's got something they need to to put on in a a, a network or an ott yeah um just interesting to see what they do with it and if it it does indeed does result in more promotion more fans
0: uh more viewership i like watching the wnba it's good basketball. Now let's get to this week's interview with Milwaukee Bucks owner Wes Eatons. As we talked about earlier, they they looked great when they uh, just swept the Pistons. Uh, and I, they're going to have a might have a harder time coming in the next round this Sunday.
1: Yeah, you'd think the Celtics might put a little more fight up than the Pistons. But Wes, of course, co-founded or founded Fortress Investment, uh, bought the Bucks five hundred and fifty million dollars. Uh, the investment bankers and the sports bankers thought they were nuts. Along with Mark Lassery and Jamie Dynan. Uh, they, they they thought the two billion dollars Ballmer paid for the Clippers was better. And you know that better than anybody. You heard the criticism, Wes. Thanks very much for taking the time and joining
3: us. Yeah, thanks for
1: the opportunity. Good to talk to you, yeah. yeah. I'm always curious about this with owners. How do you feel about owning a business where, in essence, it's out of your control? You can do everything right. You've got your team on the floor, but a sprained ankle, but a wet spot on the floor, but a bad call. How do you deal with not having any control?
3: Uh, you know, it's you know, it's a lot like any other business, right? You, um you make plans. You hire the best people. You hope that they make good decisions, and you know then things play out. I mean, the big difference with a, you know, a sports team, with an NBA team, is that uh, um, you know the, the results are a lot more evident. That they don't have a business. So you watch it on TV. So, um, but it's it's not any different than anything else. Honestly, it's just it's just more visible and it's more fun.
1: I've heard about you that you like to say I like to see things the way I see it, not the way other people see it. When you were evaluating the Bucks. As an opportunity, what did you see? Did you see an undervalued asset?
3: I, you know, I did. I saw you know one thirtieth of what I think is the best league in the, in the world. So, uh, Milwaukee was a franchise that has had a lot of success in the past. Um, they've gone through some hard times, but it's a it's a sports crazy uh, you know city and state. They've been very supportive of the sports teams, as the Packers or the Badgers or the Brewers or anybody else. And you know, we looked at. Uh, you know, the league, and you know the NBA is just an incredible product, and it's really well run. And you know Adam had just taken over as commissioner, and so we saw nothing but you know the positives of you know the big picture. And you know the you know the near term was not so bright, but we thought with the right decisions we could make a difference. So,
2: and, and Wes, how do you divvy up your time? Obviously, you're into so much more than the NBA, uh, private rail lines, energy business, private equity. How, how do you find where do you squeeze in the, the bucks and all that?
3: Well, um, it is uh, it's always a juggling act to um, you know, uh, keep the eye on the ball, if I intended. But uh, um, you know, the Ducks are something that I'm very passionate about. Um, it's been a big part of our family is watching basketball and, you know, being, you know, fans and now participating in the ownership side and, you know, whenever I can, whether I'm in the world, I'm trying to, you know, be plugged into the games, go to as many as I can and just really enjoy it.
0: Well, sir, as a native Detroiter, I'd like to thank you for having me drink at least four beers after we got swept out of the playoffs. Uh, you guys look great, and, uh, and congratulations for that, and you guys are in now in the next oh, round. Thanks. It's early, but
3: we're really happy with the first round, and now you know the rest of us just about to start here on Sunday.
0: What is the – I guess I'm going to talk about sportsmanship. And uh, when uh, the Pistons went out, Blake Griffin – I, I haven't seen that. Actually, shook the hands of reporters in the locker room and see you in the summer and this and that wherever. Wasn't anything nasty or anything like that. Do we need to see more of that? The sportsmanship from the players.
3: I I think sportsmanship is a big part of it. You know, it's uh, you know at the end of the day, there's 30 teams. There's only one team that's going to walk off the floor happy, right? And you want everyone to compete really hard off, on the court, but off the court to – you know, treat each other with respect, and you know, look. I, I tell you, I have a lot of respect for Blake uh, Griffin coming out of this. You know, he was obviously not his it is, uh, his his physical state was not terrific, and he didn't have to put himself out there, and he did, and competed. And you know, I thought he did a great job, and I thought that the uh, you know the the gestures at the end were were heartfelt and authentic and meaningful. That was great.
2: Wes, can you give us a sense in in the new arena? Playoffs, you know, obviously a lot of momentum for you guys. How profitable is is a is a postseason game for you guys? You
3: know, it's only that you think it's going to be profitable. I mean, uh, you know, we haven't had um, a series win in Milwaukee in 18 years, so this is uncharted waters for all of us uh, as far as the postseason. But you know, we've had, uh, you know, vast majority of our games have been sellouts. Um Many of them actually more than 100 percent capacity sold. Actual standing room only tickets you know, for the first time in, in decades. So. Um, And and the new arena, if you guys have had an opportunity to go, if you you haven't, I'd I'd welcome you as guests there. It's it's just a great venue. Um, The fans fill it up. It's a very uh, good um, venue and great home court advantage to play, and we think it's going to be a big part of the the postseason success for us.
2: So I've got a stupid question for you, but indulge me for a second because it came up on the podcast earlier this week. Uh, When you guys are up 3-0 playing in Detroit, uh, obviously, you know, the team looks good. It's humming. Is there a part of you that's thinking, you know, if we lose game four, you know, maybe that's not a terrible thing. We go back to Milwaukee, chance to win the series at home, sell out another playoff game. Does that does that come into your mind at all?
1: For the record, Wes, I said
2: I, said
3: I said no way. They just want to move on.
2: Absolutely
3: right. Absolutely not. Right. I mean, the last thing we want to do is you know, tweak the basketball guy who knows. And I think, um, you know, you – you want to, you know, win and move on and deal with the next, you know, series. And um, you know, I thought look, I, I again you know, I I give the Pistons a lot of credit. They usually could have come in and, and kinda nailed of it in and said, Look, we're down three nothing, um, let's get ready for summer vacation. And they did the opposite. They competed really hard and it really wasn't until the fourth quarter that, that we pulled away. Uh, but no, hundred percent we wanted to get you know take care of business and move on and we play the Celtics.
1: We are chatting with Milwaukee Bucks part owner, Wes Edens. And Wes, when you're looking at a team these days, and I'm curious, not just you, but what you see other owners are doing and would-be owners, prospective owners, because you're looking at many leagues. Are we done with the days of sort of the mom-and-pop shop where people own a team just to own a team, where they have to be run like core businesses, where either it's a real estate play or a media play or both, but it's just a tent pole as part of a bigger business?
3: Yeah, look, these are multi-billion-dollar businesses now, and I I think, you know, back you know thirty or forty years ago, maybe it was the guy who owned you know the Chevy dealership or the beer distributorship, and they could own this asset as well. But it's a it's a big enterprise, um, and it really is exactly as described. There's there's a real estate aspect to it. There's social media plays a huge role. There's the entertainment. There's there's a lot of different aspects of the business, and it takes you know a professional effort to really get the right result for sure.
0: I would like to ask you a question too about the valuation of the team. Uh, as of last year, it was one point zero seven five billion dollars, and and I don't even know what it is now this year uh, when you throw in uh, media rights and and whatever. Uh, how high is the roof? I guess
3: is the bottom line. Well, I think uh, you know the the answer to that has a lot to do with what the roof is for the NBA worldwide, and I think my Perspective on it is that there's an awful long way for the league to go, and that then you know kind of you know trickles down to the teams you know one by one. And I think you know, the international um, appreciation of the sport and um, of the product is tremendous. Um, I travel all over the world. I was just in, in Africa. I visited our NBA academy there in Dakar, Senegal, with a bunch of you know young kids all you know looking to become you know Giannis or Joe Embiid or whoever their their heroes are um, in the NBA. Um, and everyone wants to talk about the league, and I think you know soccer obviously is a huge worldwide sport. I think basketball is is right there as well. And with that comes interest. With the interest comes media. With media comes kind of valuation. I right? think that's those are the things that all are adding up for a pretty positive result for for
2: the league and the owners. Either way, not a bad uh, not a bad turn for a for a five hundred fifty million dollar investment, right?
3: Yeah, I mean uh, (laughs) it doesn't matter unless you sell it, and I won't find to sell it. That's for sure. So, but uh, we we were fortunate enough to make the investment right as the new media deal was going in. Um, That obviously figured into our calculation. I mean, it seems you know very archaic now, but you know our purchase price at the time, five hundred and fifty million dollars, was the highest amount ever paid for an NBA franchise. Um, That record lasted for about three weeks before. Paid $2 billion for the Clippers. Yeah. But, um, you know, the the new media deal, you know, I think, really did um, kind of take things to a new level. And it's only, only kind of gone from there.
1: So. Yeah. Wes, nobody could have predicted what happened with Donald Sterling. Was there any part of you in the ownership group you had already committed to the Bucks? And by the way, sports bankers, they all said, the 550, they all said they're nuts. So you've proven them wrong. But was there any part of you? when the Clippers came up that just said, oh, if we, oh, uh, just a few weeks, we could have had literal beachfront property in pro sports.
3: You know, uh, not not really. I mean, I, I live in New York, northwest New York, and so Milwaukee is a, is a quick trip away. Um, we wanted to be close to where it was, and, you know, obviously it would be, it'd be a real dream to own a team in your hometown, but you know, those franchises don't come for sale, you know, very often at all. So... Um, the Clippers are out in North is a great franchise. I think Steve's done a wonderful job out there with them. Um big win for them last night, obviously. But uh, but no, we're we're very happy. Milwaukee is a great sports town. They have been incredible, um, you know, partners of ours in building, you know, the franchise. And um you know, we didn't we didn't really think about it.
2: You bought the bucks with Mark Lazry, uh, pretty quickly in. You brought on Jamie Deneen and, and Mike Fasciatelli. How do the four of you guys kind of divvy up decision-making is is one of you the, the ultimate decision maker is it all unanimous how, how does that process go
3: you know we really run it as a partnership you know the way the way that the league is structured is you have to have um you know one person is, is the kind of lead governor for a period of time uh, that person for the first five years is me so that five years it's just about up and they'll switch over to mark for five years and then back to me kind of you know five years from now But the the truth is, on all the material decisions, you know. So, picking a coach, a general manager, your president, you know, those are all unanimous decisions. And uh, you know, and and we've we've had a good process. We haven't always agreed, but we've eventually agreed to disagree and find something that is a compromise. And I think the the results have been really, really excellent.
2: What's been the stickiest uh, decision process?
3: Um. You know, there a couple of personnel that that we had disagreements about, and I think it was more just a matter of perspective in terms of what we were trying to accomplish. And uh, um, you know, I think that yeah, the the thing about sports is very different than any business I've been involved in. It's just how public it is. Um, as far as disagreements with businesses go, I would say these are very minor and not really noteworthy. When it happens in sports, it becomes you know the cover of you know a, a newspaper someplace. So. Um, but there, there hasn't really been anything that's been meaningful. I think that you know, we're all very committed to having a franchise that uh, has a chance to win an NBA title. We wanted to have a best-in-class venue. We wanted to be the best partners we could be um, for the city and state and the people out there. Those are shared values. And so when you, when you agree across on all those fronts, then everything else kind of does fall into place.
2: It's funny. I've heard you say that before, that that sports are the chattiest business that you've ever been in. Is there something you do differently knowing that yeah, this decision we're making is probably going to be public pretty shortly after, uh, after we make it versus other businesses of yours?
3: Uh, you know, take a minute and think about what you're going to say, because it definitely seems to roll around pretty quickly. And, um, you know, the, the rumor mill is you know, huge. There's you know, talk radio and people on TV and lots of pundits. Everyone seems to have an opinion about every aspect of the business. And and uh, it, it's not, you know, problematic. It's just something that is just an aspect of the of an ownership, and you just need to be thoughtful about it. That's all. It's definitely it's definitely the shattiest business I've been around, for sure.
1: We are chatting with Milwaukee Bucks part owner Wes Edens. And I'm going to do something to you that I'm not going to be proud of, Wes. I think you can handle it, but we we're all wondering, because I know I don't think anybody here can do it. Can you spell Ante <laughs> <laughs> Um,
3: I would make a mess of it. I, I, uh, you know, to be fair, it's spelled a couple of different ways, but, uh, could I, could I do it off the top of my head? I wouldn't do it. And, uh, Mess it up, so. Well, ne- neither
1: could I, but Barr, just for fun, if you ever need a, a guest radio announcer or a guy in the arena, listen to Michael Barr's rendition. G- give me, pretend a bucket was from, from Giannis. Give me it. Oh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, what a play! So, so there's your fill-in guy if you ever need it.
0: That's pretty good. Now, now if you ask me to spell it, it's going to have a smiley face and a question mark. And and, you you know what it should come with,
1: Wes? You know, let's be real. You know what, Antetokounmpo? You know what it should come with? Just dollar signs. (laughs) That's what it should come with.
3: Can you tell me what he's worth? What he's worth? Um, You know, he's uh, he's priceless. I mean, you know, Giannis is one of those um, special people that had you know was blessed with great gifts. And then has done everything in his power to, you know, kind of maximize it. Um, he's the hardest working, you know, player that I've ever seen. Uh, you know, both on the floor and off the floor. He's incredibly focused on, you know, being the best and and, and really uncompromising about getting there. And I think that uh, you know, we just couldn't be, you know, more fortunate. We didn't draft him; you know, obviously it was drafted the year before that we bought the team. Um, I remember the first time I saw him I was watching our Knicks game and they were playing uh, the box on TV. And wait, wait, you were watching game. the Knicks and the Bucks yeah. back then? Yeah. Yeah, so he was he was playing against the, the Knicks, and I like, think it was the first time that his parents have been in the country. And So he was very fired up, and he went on and scored 20-something points. He was a skinny kid from uh, from Greece. Um, and obviously he had a lot of potential, but he's turned into an incredibly special player, and it's been a big, big part of you know the franchise and the league.
2: Shifting to uh, other sports, you mentioned soccer earlier. Last year you uh, expanded your sports portfolio, bought a piece of Aston Villa, the English soccer team. I know kind of before that you were looking around at some MLS opportunities. Can you give us a sense of why, you know, in looking at MLS versus English soccer, you decided to go to go overseas with that?
3: Yeah, I, I um, you know, soccer is also something I'm passionate about. Um, and I looked at one MLS franchise in particular, and I think – the MLS product, I think, is a terrific one from a fan perspective, um, and I think the quality of soccer continues to improve, but there's no doubt that, you know, just as the NBA is the best league for basketball in the world, you know, the Premier League is the best league, I think, for soccer. Um, there's, other, there's other, obviously, really fine ones, whether it's the you know, or, you know, or whatever, but the, the Premier League is, is really at a different level, and um, I was fortunate to find a... You know, a situation with a friend of mine, Nathos Suarez, who's my partner in London, and uh, we made an investment in Villa right before the the season started. So, uh, that started my soccer journey, which has been a really, really terrific one as well.
1: It seems like an interesting business, though. You've got this, this disparity, big club, small club. The big clubs think they generate more money. They want to keep more money. You still don't have a CEO of the EPL. It seems like there's some trying times ahead. How do you foresee the business of the EPL?
3: Well, I think it, um, uh, it's really interesting. There's a lot more similarities, I think, um, in the leagues and in the teams than there are differences when you compare um, soccer to you know, basketball. But, but there are real differences. And um, we bought a team that had been um, uh, sent down. It had, you know, Astonville is a very famous team that's had some tremendous success internationally over the years. Well, if you're going to buy it, um, you want to buy it we, after
1: it's sent down, not before.
3: You definitely do. And so, and we, you know, we bought it right before the season started. And so we were pretty, you know, constrained in terms of what we could do. But just like with the Bucks, we made some good decisions on people to own the thing. Um, we hired a great CEO. We hired, you know, a great, you know, manager, new sporting director at CM. And we've had this incredible run. I was over uh, there on Monday. The team won its 10th game in a row. So for the first time in its 145 year history, it's won 10 games in a row. So, that's, that, and made the playoffs, so that's that's really exciting. But I I think that um, you know it's it's going to be really interesting to you know build uh, the business there with NAFA. I think that uh, um, we think that it, it's a, it's such an international sport, frankly, just as the NBA is, but even more so probably with with soccer at this point. And you know it's again similarities but big differences as well.
2: Part of the argument for why MLS doesn't have, you know, promotion relegation is that they don't want, you know, investors who bought a team in a fixed league to have to deal with now suddenly the prospect of dropping down. How does that, I mean, as you said, Aston is right now on the outside looking in, could be up for promotion this season. Um how does that kind of change the way you think of things in terms of valuation, in terms of investment? Knowing that you know this team can move up, which is great. This team can move down, which is terrible. Versus the Bucks, which is you know, no matter how bad a year the Bucks have, you know they're staying in the NBA.
3: Yeah, I, I think look one one thing that I'd point out is that you know, people think the Premier League has been around for hundreds of years. it like, actually started in 1993, so it's been it's been pretty recent actually yeah, in terms of just the construction of um, the league. The history with English soccer is. The, you know promotion, demotion uh, you know uh, you know kind of cycle. Um, I think with the discrepancy in media rights between Premier League and the league that right below at the English Championship, I think it's got the, you know that's a it's just such a huge cliff. And I do think that, that that's something that could be modified. And so then look that's the perspective of a new owner and somebody who is not English, so I don't have you know the history behind it, but I think you know from an ownership perspective, you know, the prospects of you know being sent down are um, are tremendous. Is there I, a percentage
2: think, or a, or a million dollar figure? How big is it?
3: Uh, I think in the Premier League, your lowest media uh, rights payment is something like 110 million pounds, and your E.U. payments in the Championship is like two or three million pounds. There's so a difference. <laughs> it's it's gigantic. So I mean the the game. Uh, the promotion game, which will be the culmination of the playoffs, which is May 27th this year. back with, I hope we're we're in it. Um, is billed as you know the kind of the the biggest you know ticket in sports because the you know the team that wins goes up and the team that loses stays down, um, and it might well be the biggest ticket in sport because it's just such a discrepancy between the two leagues.
0: We're speaking with part owner of basketball's Milwaukee Bucks. Wes Eaton's and I like to call this the the ultimate farm club and I always believe in the youth being encouraged to either play basketball or soccer or whatever sport they want can you talk us through about what the Bucks are doing and what uh, and the players are doing to help encourage youth to get into the game
3: there's a ton of initiatives on, on both sides right the uh you know, the, the NBA, the league, is very focused on the development of kids. So these, you know, these NBA uh, programs, these there's big tournaments in the summertime now. I think that they realize that um, you know there needs to be programming that extends you know far beyond the beginning of an NBA career. And I, look, I was a part of the labor relations committee in our. I think our crowning achievement in this last deal um, that we, we came to with the players was really to kind of solidify the position of the G League and you know continue to add to the development of players so it becomes a you know very real and viable path that the NBA through there. There's a lot more to go from, from you know beyond that when you look at, you know, these youth leagues both in the US as I said I was in you know uh in Senegal, I saw our academy there, you know, the NBA has announced the African League. Um, I think 35 or 37 of our 150 players in the NBA are either direct or first-generation uh, uh, descendants of African you know, nations, so that's obviously a, a big, big uh, you know, opportunity for the league. And, you know, ultimately there's there's a lot more kids that are going to play the sport than are going to play it professionally, but I think, you know, trying to be, you know, a, a positive impact on, uh, on these kids to get access to, you know, the training and the... Uh, And and the uh, instruction and and, and whatnot, not just as a path to the NBA, but as a path to getting an education is just a really, really, you know, important mandate.
1: Wes, we'll let you get out on this one. With all that international appeal that you're talking about, the NFL has been trying for years to cultivate fans, not only in Europe, but elsewhere. The NBA seems to have a secret sauce. They've been there for so long. Long term, will the NBA supplant the NFL as the top revenue-producing league in sports,
3: I, I think so. I really do, and I, and I say that with all due respect. When, the NFL is an incredible league. I saw and I, this was David a couple of years ago, but I think as of just two or three years ago, the top fifty network, you know, events on TV like forty-seven or forty-eight of them NFL games. So before people, you know, um, kind of talk about the demise of the NFL, it's a tremendously popular and uh, and great league. I certainly enjoy you know watching it on TV. That said, I think, you know, we go to Africa and go to China and whatnot. The sports you're going to see are basically soccer and basketball and now esports. And I own not franchise each one of those things, and it's not an accident. And I think that for different reasons, all of them have real appeal kind of you know, worldwide. The NFL and American football is, a, is an amazing product in the U.S. They've had, obviously, some success with their games overseas and whatnot. But I don't think that it has the same kind of broad-based appeal as other sports do in the long run. Doesn't mean it's going to be you know, delayed, Doesn't mean it's going to be in real demise. But I think that in terms of its access to uh, to those, those international audiences, I do think it's a less less uh, attractive product.
1: All right, that's Wes Edens, owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. Good luck in the playoffs, Wes, and thank you. Very great! Thanks a
3: lot, guys.
0: Takeaways from this week's show. I I love the fact. that that we're talking more about the sportsmanship, and it's something that Wes is trying to encourage. I like it because, yes, Mr. Blake Griffin, he had to say, "Hey, you know, it's um, it was a pleasure." Man, you being will do here. anything
1: to get it back to the Pistons. Doggone right. He gets right. swept, eliminated. You're telling me about Blake Griffin shaking media hands, shaking
0: media hands, man. It's like and there's something that you Wes know he's already pl- had surgery, by the way. Yes, so he was he was playing hurt. Yeah, he, well, that's that's because Griffin's tough. Yeah, well,
1: my, my takeaway, I'm going before you underscore, um, just how the guys involved and the, and the women involved in pro sports ownership these days, it's this mom and pop thing is done. It's done. You just don't buy a team anymore. And Wes is looking at the globality. He, he talked about the NFL and he sees the NBA surpassing it. He sees esports because of the global nature. He wants soccer because it's played globally. How do you scale these businesses? And I know I talk about scale too much, but I'm not sure that's even a possibility because look at a guy like Wes Edens. He's looking at how do I scale all these businesses? Which decisions do I make? Which leagues do I invest in? What games do I invest in? And all he's looking at is that global reach. My takeaway, uh, it's A-N-T-E-T-O-K. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I, wrote, I wrote it down. I, oh, wait. I wrote it down on a piece of paper that I used for his interview, but
2: I, I don't have it here with me now, so I can't spell it either. I can't spell it. I can't pronounce wait, Jamie let, let's, name Let's tell everybody either, how Medina so. spelled it.
1: Let's tell everybody. You went with the ump de compo.
0: I was doing it on the fly while I was oh, typing. had you had
1: time, you would have gotten the ante de compo correct.
0: I, I think I would have, oh, yes. Spelled I like so. it sounds, right?
1: Spelled like it sounds. Sorry, Evan. No, that's
2: all good. Uh, it's, uh, on a serious note, as you said, I mean, uh, he has built a sports portfolio that it exists in the things that he believes are the future, and the future is international. So that's NBA, that's esports with FlyQuest, which we didn't get a chance to really talk about, and then that's soccer with Aston Villa.
0: My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a uh, kid. Feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because, because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports: The Number of the Week. All right, time now for Number of the Week, and I'm going to give you a hint before I give you the number. Since we are into the NFL Draft, the number I'm going to give is an age, thirty-seven.
1: Thirty-seven. Draft related thirty seven most draft players should be younger than that. The, the youngest, yes. g- <laughs> the youngest GM in football. No, no, is that uh, how, how old the Rams coach? He's even younger than 32, that. Thirty two, yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's, younger he, than that. Yeah. Thirty seven number of I have no idea.
0: Let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger uh, and his extension. Thirty seven <laughs> exactly, and he got an extension through what twenty twenty one. Uh, two years. Was it, uh, yeah, two year contract extension?
1: I don't know. 37, I'm, I'm no NFL GM, but I always like sort of the Boston Red Sox way of doing things. Once you hit 35, it's like, thanks, no thanks. Like, you're done. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, they, they, they just what? don't give many contracts. I think they did to Mike Lowell, and it backfired on me, wound up getting hurt. But look at Jacoby Ellsbury. Um, yeah. They, 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 or as he's known among baseball fans jacoby d ellsbury i'm sorry it was too easy (laughs) that was wrong um but you hit a certain age and it's just like the analytics tell you the production's going to go off the cliff
2: here's the other i think the other side of that right now is if you look at the pittsburgh steelers over the past couple years they had three stars Le'Veon bell antonio brown roethlisberger two of those guys left the team under auspicious circumstances. They didn't say nice yeah, about think, Ben. Yeah, I think I think maybe this is this is something that the Steelers felt they need to do just to keep some continuity with its fan base, etc. Uh, also, because it seems like you know they they chose Roethlisberger over uh, Antonio Brown in some ways. So, yeah, I agree
1: with you. Who's next? Who's the next when quarterback he's 40, for the Steelers? forty, he
2: might not be performing all that all that highly. Um, but you know, this is probably something that the Steelers fans are going to appreciate.
1: So they're going to draft a quarterback like the Giants. I think like you need a quarterback now.
0: They need someone soon. Yeah. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, plus online where you get your podcast, and you can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports.
1: I'm Evan Novi williams at Novi
2: underscore Williams.
1: And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick, and thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry.
0: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.